In the rapidly changing world, healthcare needs are constantly evolving and clinicians need to find new ways to deliver care. And often the best way to do that is by looking back. Without Marie Curie, there would be no pioneering improvements to medical imaging today. If Edward Jenner didn't inoculate a 13-year-old with cowpox, there wouldn't even be a space for Professor Ian Fraser's cervical cancer vaccine. Our clinicians are standing on the shoulders of those who came before them, learning, growing and advancing. Hindsight isn't 2020. It's our future. As budgets tighten and the burden on the health system increases, local services need to be creative in finding new ways to deliver care. But what's the key to success in this rapidly changing environment? Improving services to meet the specific needs of their local community. Thanks to increased junior doctor and nursing support, the Princess Alexandra Hospital's Hospital in the Home Service, or HIT, were able to increase capacity tenfold from six to 60. Takira Med joined us to share how they did this. I am actually a general physician and geriatrician, but I work at PA Hospital as hospital in the home physician uh, or acute care at home and explain to you about this term. And uh, I also work in the MAPU Medical Assessment and Planning Unit. So basically, this is PA Hospital, as you know. It is the biggest hospital in the south. It has its, it's a very good hospital, but it has its challenges as well. You may all have come across, if you work in hospitals, we have this situation, we, we have less beds and we, the demand is more, especially for acute beds. So this, the left picture is from PA Hospital and it was last winter when we, have, we had a lot of demand for patients' beds and we did not have enough beds to look after them. And that's the, the picture on the right is from Metro North and I think they're not different, especially during winter months when the influenza season comes, we need a lot of beds. And as we know, COVID-19 is a new thing now. We have a strategy in place, but I think we need more care out of hospital rather than sticking to the traditional route, which is treating patients within the hospital. This, is, this term, acute care at home, is exclusive to Metro South Health, in which we have three subdivisions, as you can see. So the first one is hospital in the home service. In other HHS districts, hospital in the home includes long-term antibiotics, treatment for infective endocarditis, big lines, and all those things. But in Metro South, we only look after patients who are medically unwell and who are treated as a inpatient in a virtual ward, which is outside hospital. So we don't necessarily look after people with long-term antibiotics. We treat them like short-term antibiotic courses, IV antibiotics, patients who are unwell, but not very unstable. Patients who are able to go home, so we look after them in the community. They get better quickly, they feel better at their own familiar environments, and they obviously they save a bed. So this is hospital in the homes of the Jairan in the hospital. The second two components of acute care at homes are post-acute care service that you probably might be familiar with. This is not an inpatient service, this is an outpatient service. It's not billed as inpatient, in which we provide sub-acute care to patients where they live. And there's another term which is quite interesting 
resistant you may not be familiar with it's called ACES service long-term antibiotic therapy or in long time antibiotic treatment which is run by id team infectious disease team at metro south health so we do not deal with it in other hospitals hit only consists of long term antibiotics which includes obviously as i mentioned earlier osteomyelitis or infective endocarditis but this is a separate service but it falls under acute care at home but i only look after the first hospital in the home service how do we screen those patients and what is our eligibility criteria so as i said the patients should be in a well defined stable condition they should not be medically unstable they should have a clear diagnosis and clear plan of action when they go home from hospital they should consent for the treatment i have never seen anybody not consenting for this because they all like to go home early and if they can be seen by our staff daily they're quite they feel very excited about it they should have a phone available because if we have to call them they should be able to answer to us and if we have to call them to the clinic for some reasons we can always contact them and we call them in the clinics as well so i run a clinic called hit clinic in which i call my patients if they require a review from a doctor but they are seen by nursing staff daily they should be able to manage their own conditions they should be competent if you tell them to take certain antibiotics and medication they should be able to follow or if they have a carer with them or their relative they should be able to help them and they should be in a metro south catchment so we look after patients across metro south so similar team exist at qe2 hospital logan and redlands but we look after across metro south and they should be living in a home or nursing home or in a stable location if they're homeless we unfortunately cannot look after them there's no exclusion criteria per se but they should be stable to go home and they should have a diagnosis and a clear plan as i said earlier at the moment at vi hospital we are seeing them once a day but in other hospitals like logan they have twice daily reviews as well and we are trying to bring it to pa as well so that at least if someone requires bd antibiotics we are able to provide that cognitive impairment it's not a contraindication or ex- exclusion but if if they are living with someone who can look after them and answer the phone call we we can take cognitively impaired patients as well and poor compliance is sometimes can be an issue and sometimes if you have heart failure patients we should ask them to fluid restrict or take certain medication at a certain time and if they are not following that so our service obviously cannot help them that much and yes i think this is pretty much it we don't have any specific exclusion criteria they should be able to uh, be looked after by our service and it should not be beyond scope of our practice so challenges so we had a lot of challenges as i said earlier so bigger hospital have their own challenges they have their own culture and they have their own ways to deal, th- deal with things so this was a new term for them and it was difficult to reach out to everybody how we do it and how it works we initially when we started it has been running from past 10 years to be honest but it did not kick off until 2018 when i started in this role we did not have enough medical staff so when i started i was the only person in this team as a doctor we did not have any registrars we do not have any residents we only had nursing staff which were also short staffed and they name changes were quite complex for our team so previously as i said everywhere it is called hit service but now it's called acute care at home which was confusing term so marketing was confusing what exactly we do and engagement with other specialties has always been an issue we are working on it we are getting somewhere so we're improving day by day with this but it's always challenging and clinical governance structure so as you might know in other health districts 
HIT is run by infectious disease team usually, and they deal with long-term antibiotics treatment. They don't look after acutely unwell patients who need to go home or INR monitoring and stuff like that. But we do look after all these things here. So the clinical governance right now is, I look after this, so as an acute care at home physician at PA Hospital. But we liaise with ID for infectious, obviously if we require advice on antibiotics. So we have KPIs of 110 patients per month, which is 1.5% of all PA encounters, which include mental health, which include day procedure, hemodialysis, chemotherapy. So we don't, we can't hit these patients. They're not. They're only certain patients that we can take under us. So this is unfair KPI because we cannot do, like, if, if it's 1.5% of all the admissions, I don't think we can reach because some of them are strokes, some of them are in CCUs, some have heart failures or STEMIs and non-STEMIs and surgeries and elective theater list. So these were all our challenges when I started. This is what we had. In July 18, I started. We only had six patients to 10 patients per month, and which was very low as compared with other hospitals, which include Redlands and Logan and QE2. And we were struggling, and uh, there was no medical governance available before I started. And obviously, as I said, we did not have any junior doctor. There was no big presence of this kind of service in the hospital. It was a bit unfortunate then. So we, uh, when I started, we obviously we worked on a lot of things. So we marketed the service, first of all. We went out, it's a big hospital. We went to all the wards. We explained what we do, how we do it, what we can help them with, and what sort of patients we take. Slowly and gradually, they started to listening to us, and then they engaged. And I did a lot of in-service with junior doctors, I think, and nursing staff. They are backbones of hospitals. So nursing staff are very helpful, and they're still working with us, and junior doctors. But they keep changing every three months. So, And they're very, um, obviously, they're led by their consultants and their registrars. So we, we have been covering all the levels of clinical governance uh, with this marketing. We used flyers, education materials, and I sat with my team and we spoke about aims, what exactly what we are trying to do. So basically, our aims and objectives we set together and then decided this is what we want to achieve, and then we should work together towards this goal. And this is what we did, and pseudo team became proper team. So we have a service at Metro South called Care Pack Team, which is a nursing home liaison service. So we engaged with them, and I look after all the nursing home patients who come under us, under HIT. So they come under my clinical governance. So we engaged with them. We are still in, we are having a lot of referrals for them, so it's going really well. So we secured two uh, nursing staff for our team, 0.8 full-time. Um, last year, we had a rotational RMO. Thanks to PH allocations, they gave us one RMO at least to help me because I had nobody. And then we had a funding for a registrar this year who started in 27th of January. So I'm quite excited with that as well. We are providing clinical governance to patients who are from nursing home as well. So someone who comes with UTI and they need IV antibiotics like Keftriaxone because they are ESPL or they require one stellar terpene, we can do it. So they go home quickly and we look after them in the nursing home. We can do blood tests. Because of IMR, it's easier now. So we can remotely see their observations. We can remotely see their blood tests. And because of this, we have to treat them as an inpatient on IMR. So we enter their medications within IMR and our nursing staff sign them off when they take their laptops to the nursing home or in any patient's home. So before IMR, it would have been harder, but I think it's getting easier day by day because we have this electronic medical records in Metro South. 
This is another challenge. So this is a data from Health Roundtable. I only have data from 2017 because I think somehow I didn't subscribe for it for 2018, 2019. So there are multiple hospitals. They're not all the hospitals. These are the hospitals that subscribe to Health Roundtable. They charge a fee, so not every hospital is subscribed to it. PH, as you can see, so I'm going to tell you about, there's a clinical complexity scoring system that they have, they're trying to show here. The area in red and orange, they are the sickest patients. And the red are the ECC score of three. And, and two is also quite sick. They need inpatient care. In PH, as you can see, only one third of the patients are not very sick. So the green bar, as you can see there. Similarly, HERA, HERA is Mater Hospital. It's similarly very... It, captures sick people and Bellatrix on the left end is Queensland Children's Hospital. So there are very, these hospitals attract a lot of sick patients. So we don't have enough, obviously from the start, we don't have enough number of patients who could go home. And uh, similarly, as you can see, other hospitals, New South Wales, uh, Illawarra, which is Wollongong Hospital, uh, which have 1372 patients, they have less number of sick patients, so they can c get more. These are our DRGs. As you can see, the, mainly we see a lot of cellulitis and anticoagulation management, but then we have included acute kidney injury and pyelonephritis, uh, pneumonias, bronchiectasis, insulin management, asthma. So some of these things previously no one treats at home, but if they're stable, they can go home and no, no, uh, I don't think there's any problem with that if they're stable and they're happy to go. So this is the slide that I wanted to show. This is the, um, so as you can see, uh, the first yellow bar is where I started in this role in July 18. And then we went up to, and I was on my own uh, until this, another yellow dot you can see. This is where we got a junior doctor who helped us. Um, and they have helped us throughout this 2019. So we started at five to 10 per patient, but now we peaked at 70 in December 2019. And we're still sitting around 60 to 70 at this time. So with all this hard work and marketing and liaising with other teams, I think we have achieved this. And thanks to all the team. So future directions, what we are working on is management of delirium at home. So I'm trying to run a project in delirium management at home. I need some funding for a light health. My team is very small. So if we have a light health funding, I'm applying for a grant. We will be able to treat delirious patients who are stable, who do not have any electrolyte and beneficiary infections. They can go home early and they could be treated. And they do better at home and they're in familiar environment. Rehabilitation at home, Jemhith, Jemhith model is a geriatric rehabilitation at home, is currently being done at QE2 hospital. Other hospitals are also subscribing to it and we will also do it. And I'm very, as a geriatrician, I would love to participate in that. And I'm doing three other research projects. I'm looking at CRP as a marker of poor clinical outcomes under head patients. We don't have any research in, in, in this area, so I'm trying to find, they have, um, if we can triage our patients easily. And similarly, frailty is another, uh, issue, we are looking at clinical frailty score if it is associated with poor clinical outcomes for patients under head. So if, if someone has clinical frailty score of six, seven, how do they fare when they come under us? So we can easily triage. So this, these are two studies that I'm doing. And obviously, as I said, delirium study is also in the pipeline, but I'm waiting for some funding. Thank you so much for your time. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast and taking the time to learn about the wonderful work of Queensland's frontline clinicians. To continue the conversation, head on over to Facebook and let us know of any pockets of excellence you think deserve to be showcased. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Clinical Excellence Queensland.